Now, you mentioned about not wanting to write. Now, that was actually the reason I started this podcast as well. We had options in college where you could either do writing, radio, or film. And I went, okay, I'll do radio, then realized I like film too, but really didn't like the writing part, so just focus on the other two. Now, I got into that, and somebody, everybody asked me this question all the time. Are you in it forever? I want to ask you the same thing. Do you think you'll be in filmmaking forever? Is that it? 100%, man. Really? 100%, 100%. It's my career. It's my career. This is the start of my career. Five, four, three, two, and one. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Blocky Media Podcast. Now, this week, I am joined with Christy. Christy, how are we? We are great. Good, good. I am glad. Now, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm currently at college, Mm -hmm. uh, studying, studying, studying. Studying. I'm studying uh, film production at uh, college and just finished directing a film. If you want to check it out, might as well get some self-promo in, you know. Right at the start, (laughs) right at the start, exactly where it should be. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a photographer. Um, Yeah, there's not really much to say about my career. It's kind of early days at the moment. So Mm -hmm. um, starting off it, starting off um, just creating films really, just creating some social realism stuff, some, you know, heavy truthful things mm-hmm. so filmmaking why filmmaking specifically yeah so i think that is fil- i think i do filmmaking because i started off with photography and i always had an interest with it because i feel like you know that cringe like cliche saying that like a picture says a thousand words or whatever yeah. i genuinely love that saying because mm-hmm. it's like you could you could see a picture or, or a film and you can interpret it in so many different ways so I, I always loved that and I always loved doing photography, um, even from when I was a child. So, you know, it's just always been my passion and it just led on to be film. So you were saying just then about realism and mm. truthful things. Why have you focused on that aspect of film over something like comedy? Yeah, I mean, I think firstly, comedy is so hard to convey, especially as a young filmmaker. I mean, I'm a funny guy anyway, but <laughs> like, it's just one of those things that like, unless you're like a professional, it's not mm. going to be funny unless it's like, like, a, like a, what's it called? Like a parody or whatever. Yeah. But social realism for me is something that everyone can relate to in some aspect because it's real, you know, especially if you can convey it in a, in a truthful and, and um, realistic way, then it means that some someone can come away from that either learning something or coming away from it feeling like they've been heard and that their voice is heard as well. Mm. So it's just about that balance. How does that relate to you? To me? Your voice being heard. Yeah. <laughs> You're throwing me off with these questions now. Um, to, uh, what was the question? How does that relate to you? Social realism, your voice being heard, people like relating to things. Mm. They're like, I was going to ask just a minute ago, how do you make it real? But I want to start with relating. Mm. Why are you so passionate about people relating to your work? Yeah, I think that it's a great way. It's great to connect with people, especially through something that's so creative and artistic. Um, I've always been into social realism through my life. So it's been one of those things where I could just, I can, I can, pick up on people's behaviours and stuff and I, I can create that into something through a character and through an actor and be able to convey things that not only that I can relate to because it's something that, you know, being able to convey something that people relate to is greater than I think a comedy or a horror or whatever mm. because it means that, they're like I said, that it, you're being heard and it's like, it's one of those things where obviously social realism has been around for years but it's never covered enough. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, there's so many things that... that what's the word? I'm waffling now. No, you're, you're on a good streak. Keep oh. going. <laughs> Keep going, trust me. Um, yeah, no, it's just something for people to to relate to and to feel heard and to be able to 
feel like that their situation isn't that they're not alone that they have mm. that there is other people out there mm. who are experiencing the same things and that they can if they feel comfortable enough through my films that they can go out and speak about how they feel to maybe someone who is a professional or you know to their mum or you know that kind of thing so it's it's kind of as well a mental health thing as well so I think that's um very good of you actually because I feel like relatability in any form of media is definitely a way to keep people involved if you can make somebody mm. sit there and relate yeah. to what you're talking about they're going to want to watch the rest now you talked about being heard mm. that was my main question just then is why is being heard so important to you <clears throat> I think for a lot of my life my, I wasn't very heard I think that I was kind of um, pushed to the sidelines um, I think mainly because I'm dyslexic I'm on the spectrum mm-hmm. so it's it was always about trying to fight for my voice and fight for what I think is right so I think that if I can do that and I can create something that means that other people's voices are heard in an easier way then it means I've helped at least one person mm. so do you wish you had that had what had a piece of content that you could go to and relate to and feel like you were heard by watching it like do you wish there was a version of you when you were struggling yeah for sure I think I mean, as a kid, I was always on YouTube and stuff like that. So, But it was never anything that I would relate to. Is It was always something to escape. And I think that's also another element of social realism that people don't talk about is the escapism that comes with it. Because when you think about other like fantasy and stuff, that kind of genre, yeah. you think, well, people watch that so they can escape from their reality. Mm. But in a way, social realism is an escape as well because not it means you can come away from your own problems in your life and, and mm. watch someone else's, even if it's not real, but you can watch what other people are going through, yeah. you know? Now, something I want to bring up uh, as you were speaking then, it made me think of euphoria. Mm. So euphoria involves a lot of drugs and a lot of drug abuse, mainly. <coughs> now, I've heard a lot of people that are drug addicts and suffered with drug abuse in the past watch euphoria and it brings back bad memories. Mm. So how do you split realism between relating, understanding and separating themselves from their reality to then jump into another's to actually going, holy shit, this is my reality. This is fucking terrible. How do you split the two? How do you make it something comforting rather than something demonising and remembering that it's actually fucking terrible? See, sometimes I don't think... I think realism, it doesn't always have to be something that is an escape. I said that as, you know, because it's true. It depends mm-hmm. what you want to watch. Yep. If you want to watch something for an escape and to relate to something, then there's a se- section for that. But if you want to watch something as a comfort, then I guess you're looking at the wrong genre because... Mm. I don't know. I've I've seen Euphoria. I have seen it, and for me personally, I couldn't relate to it because I haven't I haven't been through the. Did you feel been. like you could escape watching it? I loved Euphoria. I thought, I, yeah, I definitely could escape. I could. I think the way it was directed, especially the bonus episodes, which no one actually seems to have watched. Never, I, I didn't. They were brilliant, personally, because it was all in one room, and they were all just speaking. The characters were speaking about themselves, and we get to delve into them as characters, which mm. led leads on to the season two. Mm. And that for me was what was was the reason that I liked it because initially the first season I was like mm, I don't know about this but mm. then I watched those bonus episodes I was like yeah this is real like this is what's this is what makes it relatable and it ma- it it gives you that emotion yep. when you watch it because a lot of things you just go all right that was calm but I genuinely almost cried at one of them because of how it made me feel and that's what inspires me to do with my films mm. you know to be able to provoke that emotion definitely so. Even when I watch a film, I watch a film and I'll see a shot's cut from one to another and I'll see something that's in a different place. And I go, right, they've shot that scene multiple times. Continuity, yeah. Yeah. Now, that's for me as people who 
sit here with three cameras filming a podcast. I'm not doing anything special. You're doing it in detail. You're reshooting scenes. Mm. You make sure acts in the right place, objects in the right place, etc., etc. What do you see when you watch films? That's a massive question. It's so much. It's so much to watch at one I think I'm still trying to learn how to really watch a film because there's people who watch a film like my mum for example she'll watch a film and she'll note the actors and and their characters right Mm. but I'll be looking at the shot types and what they mean and the way they frame it and the lighting that they use and the color grading that they use it's all it's all in one and a lot of the time some things are more obvious than others I mean you can see like um whiplash for example brilliant film you should definitely watch it um the, the beginning of the scene, uh, the beginning of the film, it's all green, right? And what do you what do you associate green with, like vomit and like gross, Ew. gross yep. stuff, right? But towards the end, well, throughout the film, the color grading changes depending on the the confidence of the main character, mm. and it's something I noticed. I think the second or third time I watched it, and I was like, that is something that they have done on purpose because of the the whole mm. because of the whole film, just to give you that that emotion and that feeling it's all the salty subconsciously exactly yeah that's what i love when did that when did that start happening did you start going right i'm a filmmaker now so i need to sit down and see what the color grading is or mm. did you just naturally as you grew up and as you got into this mm. scene go oh these notice these things mm. or was it a conscious decision i think to be honest it's only just recently that i've started to think like this i mean i know that once you start thinking like this when you watch the films you don't really go back so i'm trying mm. not to be so um I'm, I'm trying not to see everything at once, if you know mm. what I mean. I'm trying to be gradual with does it. Does it take away from enjoying the film? I think sometimes it does, yeah. Um, like, I'll be watching it and my mum will be there and she'll be like, this is a great film. And I'm like, yeah, but did you see that? Like, that mm. like that shot wasn't like, what does that even mean? That doesn't mean, that, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, you've got to really think about what the director and the, and the filmmakers of the production are trying to say. Mm. And even if that gets lost, you can find it in the shots that they use. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, let's rewind a bit. You took this filmmaking course at college. Mm. Now, why? From secondary school, you came out of secondary and went filmmaking. What was the decision based upon? Do you know what? I th- <laughs> It was actually based upon the fact that I didn't want to do writing because I'm dyslexic, like I said, um, whatever. Mm. But I'm not a very analytical, um, academic person. So mm. I thought, oh, photography, yeah, that was a lot of work in, in year 11. I don't want to do that again. And I come into film and it's like double the writing. Yeah. So that was actually my reason. But I think that I also thought about it as well as a career and like an investment as well, because it's like photography, like after speaking to my um, my teacher in school, like she's just a school teacher and she has like a few... Like she does a photography on the side or whatever, mm-hmm. and I didn't want it. I didn't want that to happen to me because the chances of you being a, like a a well known professional photographer are lower than being a decent filmmaker. So I really weighed up my options in that in mm. that regard, and I also just loved film. Like I've always loved film, even mm. from a child. Like I've always grown up around films. My parents have really pushed it on me, which I'm really grateful for because it's it's brilliant. Mm. So I think it was just I think it was a passion that I hadn't unlocked yet. Yeah. Um, and I felt at the time that with photography, I'd kind of reached a decent point in my life where I thought, if I go into college, then I'm just going to be repeating myself. Mm. But with with film, I think that it's some, it's something new to learn. It's it's a new skill. You know, it, I think that for me personally, it's a, it's something more challenging, and I'm always mm. looking for something to challenge myself. Mm. So going into film was definitely something that was for me to challenge me. Okay, now 
you mentioned about not wanting to write. Now, that was actually the reason I started this podcast as well. We had options in college where you could either do writing, radio, or film. And I went, okay, I'll do radio, then realized I like film too, but really didn't like the writing part, so just focus on the other two. Now, I went into that, and somebody, everybody asked me this question all the time. Are you in it forever? I want to ask you the same thing. Do you think you'll be in filmmaking forever? Is that it? 100%, man. Really? 100%, 100%. It's my career. It's my career. This is the start of my career. And I know that... Because for a long time before college, I was like, like I always questioned myself. I always second guessed myself. Like, is this really what I'm, uh, what I'm want to do? Is this what I'm good at? That mm. was definitely what I was thinking about. Yeah. But as I've grown as a person, I've definitely thought that this is something I can go into. And there's such a vast range of job type, uh, job roles that you can do in this industry. It makes me feel more confident in myself to be able to do those things as well. Mm. So not only to be a filmmaker and a director. But there's set design, there's editing, there's producing, there's DP. There's so many roles mm. that I could that I could do. Are you interested in them all? I, I wouldn't say them all. I'm definitely not interested in editing. That's not my thing. Yeah. I think the thing is with editing is I hate it, but I'm going to learn to be better at it because it's one of those things mm. where if I want to work remotely at home, I've got editing under my belt and I can be able to yeah. freelance that. Whereas if I'm a filmmaker, I can't really freelance, like work at home freelance mm. with filmmaking. Mm. But um, yeah, no, I definitely want to advance my skills in editing. Something you mentioned there about editing, not liking editing. Mm. How much control do you think you lose by not editing? Because I feel the reason I do this all myself, I record, I edit, I upload and stuff like this is because I feel like if I get these two cameras, get the footage, get the audio and then send it off to somebody else, they're going to create a completely different image completely. to what I had to start with. So... Where do you feel like you lose control within filmmaking? Is it in the edit? Is it in the cameras? Is it in the actors? Because you can get an actor on and they could be the shittest person ever and you're mm. like, I just wasted my time on this actor. Mm. Where is it for you? I think unconsciously I lose control in editing because I'm just not very good at it. Mm. Um, I agree with you. If I think, I mean, for example, Blade Runner, the first one. Mm. The original. Seen, yeah, the original. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. Brilliant film. Um, but there was two edits. There was the director's edit and the editor's edit. And now mm. I haven't seen the director's edit or I haven't seen one of them, but apparently they are completely different films. Yeah. And it's one of those things where editing is an art and it's one of the most crucial parts of, of, of filmmaking. And I think people forget that and get it lost in the process. But for me, I think editing is, is just crucial. Mm. And you could genuinely change the course of the film with the edit and mm. that i think that's i think it's a scary thing if i'm honest but it's also so creative at the same time mm. so you've actually got a film up and published on your youtube channel now tell me a little bit about that yeah so it's called relinquish and um it's basically about this very broken um dysfunctional family mm. um who are basically just trying to get on with life um the ups and downs of everything and addiction there's there's bits of addiction in it mm. um there's family issues i mean i don't want to get in too much with it i don't, I don't want to give it away yep. you're gonna watch it yeah but yeah things happen tragedies and it's basically like a coming together and it, it, the end has some hope mm. um but realistically it's quite a depressing film so yeah. that that's your main that's your main piece i would say so far like yeah. that's been your that's been your staple piece What's your experience making that staple piece? Is your first proper time round? Yeah. How would you feel that went? I loved it. I genuinely loved the experience. I thought that it was such an eye-opening experience as well, and it's cliche to say, but 
I learned so much with that film, mm. like creating it all and everything, because not only did we do the planning, but we were improvising with the actors for weeks and weeks and weeks, just trying to get some, some good content out of it. I mean, there was so much that we that we just discarded mm. because it was just waffle. But it was so nice working with the actors and being able to direct them and being able to to work with them as well. Because before the pro- before the project, I just thought, oh yeah, they're actors. Like they, you know, they just they just turn up and act, and mm. that's it. Mm. They added so much to that film as well. Like they contributed just as much as any of my crew did. Right. And I think the collaboration aspect of it was great as well. It was just it was just an all round great experience for me. How does that work with the um, improv? So I've seen it before. Mm. Do you go in and say, right, guys, go for it, and then you go, right, I want him, 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 or what? How does it work? Yeah, so, I mean, initially we would give them, like, a little scenario and they would, like, run with it and it wouldn't be anything to do with the film. But when it comes to the film, we'd have our our list of um, scenes that we want to shoot and we basically go, right, we, we're going to do this scene, you're all around the table and um, you smash a plate, right? Mm. And then... That you just let them unfold it, you just let them roll with it, and then I'll have someone taking notes on things that they said that we could use mm. as well, and we're also recording it as well, so it's like we can watch back and see oh that that little shot there was great, or that what they said there is good mm. um yeah, so where have you learned that? Was that from the college course that basically said this is how you're going to be able to do it, or was yeah. this all for your own research? yeah, no, it was um we were pushed by the college to do it, but um it is something that you don't even think about like I don't know why it's just one thing that you when you look at the film when you watch a film you don't think about all the preparation that goes into it Mm. and all of the planning and everything and all the improvisations but it was it was genuinely eye-opening like Mm. the amount that they did and like it was full days like just like three days at a time like full days just working on this one scene and it's like they're, they're opening themselves up to you. They're being vulnerable to you. So as a director, it was something that I had to be sensitive to towards them and like make sure that they had had their time to be able to prepare for it and fizzle things out as well. Mm. But yeah, no, it, 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 it was great. It was great. Now, initially, when I think of videography and directors and stuff like this, I never think about that part. As you were just mm. saying, it's not something you think about where you get them all in a room and say, right, go for it. We're going to analyse this. Did you ever have a fear going into videography and directing and et cetera, et cetera, that you wouldn't like some parts that you didn't actually know about? Did they ever come up to you and say, right, you got to do this now. This is part of videography. This is part of directing. And you went, hmm, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's elements of anything that you do in your career that you probably don't like doing. I mean, mm. I hate script writing. Like I said, I hate writing. So script writing for me is, I dread it every single time. I hate it. Mm. But it's one thing that once you've done it, it's an achievement. You know, mm. that's one thing that you've ticked off the list and you can get onto the next thing. Um, I mean, I worked with um, the producer to um, to write the script and, and the, the calling sheets and everything like that. But once you've done it, it's like, that's it now. Like, we've done that. that mm. And we can move to the next. We can start filming and we can start improvising. And it's like, even though you hate it, it has to be done at the end of the day. Mm. And then you can move on to things that you enjoy. What do you say to people that say you can you have to enjoy 100% of your job. Oh, I think that's bullshit. Right. That's actually bullshit. Mm. I mean, you have to enjoy your job to an extent. I mean, I'm not saying like you have to enjoy every single aspect of your job, but if you don't like your job, then you don't like your job. Mm. You know, you have to like the 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 nitty-gritty of your of your job. Otherwise, what are you doing it for? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Cuz 
like if I like obviously I'm not going to go into s- to script writing. That's not what I'm going to go into. But if I'm asked to do it and I'm going to get paid for it as well, I'm not going to I'm not going to. How much does the money matter? How much does money matter in this situation right now? Not a lot, but end goal. It would be nice to have a a, a nice sum of money mm. at the end of the year or every month or whatever. Because I'm not only doing this because I love it and it's my career, but if I could make money as well, then that's a bonus. How do you plan on doing that? <sighs> Just grinding, man. Going, I'm going to uni, so that's going to be pretty tough. For filmmakers and for directors... Mm. Is it more going into an entrepreneurship path where you're just freelancing and going, right, I'll make films for anybody, let's go? Or is it building a company where you then go, right, let's build a team of people that can build a that can build a film? Or is it joining a team, joining some part and going, right, guys, I'm a director and I'm pretty good at it. Who's going to hire me? Yeah. Which route are you going to take? Yeah, so for me, I'm going to go to uni, right? And I think that for me, uni is not only a place to make friends, but connections. This mm. industry is all about connections. It's who you know. And getting into uni, being with people who are my age, roughly, and who are passionate means I can make connections, make friends, and possibly uh, a crew for the future. Mm. But realistically, it's however you want to approach it, because there are so many different ways you can. Like, you could freelance, you could build your own company and everything, but who knows what what could happen. I think for me, my plan would definitely be go to uni for three years, obviously, and then get a job. Um, if that's working with people like on a set or for a company or if it's if it's freelance I think personally for me it'll be with a company because then I can make the friends make the you know make the connections yeah even being a runner you start from the bottom you make way up you know that's how I see it it's it's all about the grind really that was really cringe but you know (laughs) (laughs) no I agree so you're currently in the realm of realism now what other areas would you like to explore being a director of if any. Well, I'm thinking for my FMP, my final project, it's a bit... For college, for people who don't know. Yeah, sorry, for college. It's a bit unlike me to do anything like this, but I think I'm going to go into a romance, mm. which is something I, I... I mean, I usually deal with, like, heroin and, like, yeah. drugs and all this sort of stuff in all mm-hmm. my films, but I think I think I want to step aside from that and I want to I want to explore some real relationships and real emotions. because mm. Involving heroin or just... I mean, there might be some substance abuse. Who knows? <laughs> there usually is. Yeah. Um, but not 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 any hard drugs, really. Probably just you know a bit of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that I think it'll be I think it'll be good, and um, it'll be something that I haven't done before. I think it will definitely challenge me. Which Why is relationships? Why is that? Yeah. So I think that in relationships there are so many different elements of uh, of emotion and mm. levels and stuff, and there I mean relationships within themselves are complicated anyway. So I think that trying to explore that in film for me, will be a challenge because I'm not too good at reading people's emotions and stuff like that. So, Has that been a problem before? For me? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I think it's always I think it's always an issue. I mean, I always get into like little tips of people and say things that I shouldn't say because I, I didn't know how they were feeling at the time or anything. Yeah. And it's, it's all about communication, really. Yeah. So speaking of relationships... Something I said about what you wanted to talk about, you said this transition going from college and this relationship transition as well. Mm. Let's talk about that for a little bit. You talked about more toxic relationships transferring into a healthy relationship. And this is through college. Give us a backstory and explain that so we can get into it. Yeah, so I was in a two-year-long toxic relationship. Like, complete anything you think of, it happened, right? Mm. That bad. And that ended after a very, very long two years when I was just turning 16 so I was still a child right Mm. 
And I had, I think, maybe three months to myself being single. Yeah. And then I came into this incredibly healthy relationship that was full of communication and was overall very beneficial for both of us. Mm. And that transition initially was like the height of my life, right? And you would, as you would expect. Yeah. But over time, it was like, um, fucking hell. Go for it. All right, hold on. But over time, it's like, because I was in this toxicity for so long, it's all I knew. Mm. That's all I knew. Mm. So coming out of that and coming into something that's the total opposite, it was like I was expecting my girlfriend to say something mm. or be manipulative or anything you would consider toxic, but it didn't happen that way. And because I was in that toxic relationship for so long, I developed those toxic traits as, traits as well. So without even me knowing, because this is what I thought was the norm, I was being toxic as well, mm. which is obviously not on. And um, my girlfriend had to correct me on that. Um, but it's like trying to adjust was so difficult for me. How did that dynamic work at such a young age? 16, 17, you're being corrected by her girlfriend. How do you know she's right? That's a good question, you know. I think I think it was a vulnerable stage for me. Um, but it, because obviously I did, I did obviously know what a healthy relationship looked like. I did know that what I was being, what I had, what I'd been through was toxic. I just didn't know to the extent. Mm. And, it was only until I was speaking about it with Amber, my girlfriend, that I started to realise how bad it was and how different it is now. Yeah. And I knew that they were right because you just know, you, you instinctively know what is right and what is wrong. And it felt right. It felt right. It didn't feel, I didn't get that awful stomach. You know, when you, you feel awful and you get that stone mm. in your stomach. Yeah. It, it didn't feel anything like that. It was just... Yeah, it was great. It was really, really, it was a nice change, but it was also a reality check as well. Mm. So two years is a long time. Mm. So how did two years of toxicity affect you personally outside of relationships? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was 14 when I got into this relationship, maybe even 13. Right? Mm. I was really young, mm. really young, too young for anyone to be in a relationship for that long yep. as well. And for me, excuse me, for me, not only was it toxic, but I was isolated from my friends at the time. And at the and the friends that I had in school were the realest friends that I'd had probably ever. Like mm. I was always bullied. So it was like To the day. Huh? To this day. To this day, probably yeah, they were just so accepting of me. I mean, I hadn't come out to them because I still didn't know. But she isolated me from them and basically had I had no friends all because they were females mm. and it was that kind of thing that it was like jealousy jealousy she had to pick and choose who I was friends with and if I didn't if I like said no oh, that's my friends then beef drama and mm. it's like what would you rather have you know how did you come to them choices so this was over two years why did you never realize this is weird yeah no I think it's hard to it's hard to say really because in my head at the time it was I knew that it was wrong I knew that what was going on didn't feel right and and wasn't right but it was like I always say this to people I had this thing in my head and it was I either 
break up with her and be by myself and have to deal with the pain of being lonely and and the end of of someone who basically Stockholm syndrome really mm. really and truly Stockholm syndrome because I couldn't bear the thought of not being with someone because I'd been with her for so long mm. but I also no so I would rather bear the pain of being with her and being abused than ha- bear the pain of being alone mm. and having to deal with all the traumas and everything so I just stayed mm. I just stayed it's one of those things where it's like I could leave easily right now but it wasn't that easy it was never that everyone says oh but just leave like just leave him or, you know you know, people the cliche things right but it's not that easy because she'd met my family she'd met my mum she'd met my dad they, my parents were involved in the situations you know and it was like if we break up then I have to explain all of this abuse mm. to everyone and it's embarrassing it's really mm. embarrassing so I just I just stayed and to be honest I don't think I regret it because it's I for me I see it as a learning curve I see it as I'd rather have all of that abuse early rather mm. than deal with it in my 30s and it be embarrassing because like not embarrassing but like I'd rather deal with it early and then know for future relationships what the red flags are yeah even though it was an awful time for me yeah definitely now what did the people around you think what did they notice um yeah I think they definitely saw me feeling better in like higher mood and everything, especially my mum. I mean, what about during the during, two years? Oh, it was awful. Like I would treat everyone awfully. Like I didn't have. I mean, like I said, I didn't have any friends, but I would also start manipulating my mum into having her stay round and like, you know, on like on a school night. I know it's obviously a bit, you know, young, but like mm. things that aren't normal. I would, I would like manipulate my mum into doing to benefit me and to benefit her because mm. it was all about her. It was like if I don't do something, then there's going to be drama and then she'll depict me as someone who's abusive and, you know, that kind of thing. So it was like I was always on eggshells and I was always trying to please her and it was so draining at the time, honestly. Mm. Did you see, you made out to be the bad guy? All the time. Yeah, she she used to go around school saying that I abused her, which is mad, like why? Mm. I don't know why. Mm. Um, But she used to be like, yeah, like... Um, Christy abused me and like she hit me and da, 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 like all this sort of stuff and people would I mean her friends especially would be like well why the fuck are you with her like break up with her then that kind of thing yeah. but it was just it was just so so toxic yeah. so toxic so there was a three month period and then you were with a new person before we move on to the new person how was the three months three months was a tricky one to be honest because it was like I felt this great high and this sense of freedom, but I also had that loneliness as well. It, I mean, it was a hard three months within itself, anyway. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I, I um, rekindled a friendship that I had a long time ago, and that was really nice. And I felt that there was no pressure for that. Mm. But also, in that three months, she was still in my life. She was still someone on the sidelines. She was still lingering. And mm. I'm not even going to lie. I think maybe even six months after that, she was still lingering. Right. And it was because she was standing on the sidelines to see if she could worm her way back in again. Mm. And I didn't let it. Thank God. Mm. Thank God. <laughs> now, where did the new person come from? Um, Unfortunately, Ubo. <laughs> Embarrassingly. <laughs> yeah. Tough. We've all been there. I know. But um, yeah, I mean, Amber lives very far away from me. They live in... Uh, Maybe not disclose the Maybe. area, but a far away place. Um, Long distance. 
yeah, about 100 miles. Right, shit. Yeah, so it was all, you know, and it was start of lockdown, really, actually, that we started talking. So we didn't meet for four months, I don't think, and sure. until, and we'd already, we, I mean, two months in, we had a relationship, we were, like, dating. Mm. And then four months in, we met. Mm. And it's just like we knew, like, that was it. Like, yep. And it's been two years now, almost, so. Shit. Now, going from a toxic relationship, where there is minimal trust, how do you go into a long distance relationship where trust is the only thing that matters? Mm, yeah, I mean, it was hard. It was definitely, I think lockdown helped it because obviously you couldn't go out, mm. but there was still that element of like, please don't leave. Like you've been a great influence in my life. Yeah. And it was like that, that insecurity of like, uh, if you leave, then I don't know where I would be. Back to square one, essentially. Yeah. Sorry. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was definitely tough. I mm. mean, if we weren't in lockdown at the time, I probably would have been a lot more insecure and I would have had so much more trust issues. Yeah. Um, and I, I would have been a mess, to be honest. So it's right person, right time, right place. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, yeah, I think looking back, I think we could have taken things a little bit slower, but I think it was like lockdown, sped it up and everything. And plus we're gay, so, you know, it's cliche. Mm. But yeah, definitely. So your advice for other people transitioning from a toxic relationship into a healthy one? What would yours be? I think that you always have to look on the bright side. And even though you've been through a hell of a time, it will always get better. And people always seem to forget this. I mean, I've been through ups and downs myself. You've been up through ups and downs. Everyone has. Mm -hmm. But when has it not? It, it's always gotten better, even yep. if it was just slightly. Even if you were going to go and get a coffee that day and you did. Mm -hmm. That's made your day. You know, that's yeah. what's made you feel better in yourself. And it's just taking one step at a time. It's about not worrying about what anyone else thinks and taking one step at a time and being able to get to a point that's reachable as well. How has that whole experience, the two years, the three months, plus this new relationship, how is that going to affect your final project, which we were talking about, your relationships side of videography and producing? Yeah, I think I can definitely take from all of those experiences. I think I can take elements from the toxic relationship, from the, the three months that I was single and from the relationship that I'm in now. Mm. Um, I think that I'm going to tie it in as a whole. So maybe even like have the first bit is like the toxic and then have the single and then better relationship or I might mess mm. around with it and, you know, do something different. But I'm definitely going to take elements from my experience and put that into my film because that's basically how film is made mm. is, you know, it's from your personal experience. It's mm. from how you view the world. It's from your introspective. Would you ever recreate that experience in a film? Exactly like how it was, like... See, I, th I definitely did think about it for my last final project. Mm. Um, but I think it's I think it's whenever I'm ready for it. Mm. Um, I did do something similar, which was um, a film that I created with actors um, last year um, that was over Zoom. So mm. it wasn't really... And it, we, we didn't flesh out the characters, we didn't improvise, we just said, right, this is the story, go and do it. Yeah. So it, it wasn't the best and it wasn't how I was hoping it to be. But for the future, I think when I'm I think when I'm more comfortable and have come to terms with everything a bit more, then I think if I'm if I'm ready to then I think I would. I don't see why not. Especially if it if I know that it could help someone who was in a similar similar situation to yeah. me. Then yeah. Hundred percent. Well, this has been a great interview and I hope to see that final project somewhere so I can watch it. But feel free to promote anything you want. Go and watch my film. It will be... Where, where would it be? Description. I'll put it on the Instagram and stuff and put a little trailer on that if you've got that. So, yep, yeah, you can see all of Chrissy's stuff 
in the description down below. I'll link everything that is necessary. I've been Ben. Thank you. I'm Christian. Thank you for having me, Ben. All good. Appreciate you watching. Enjoy.